Hello, I'm Linda Seif from The Layered Onion. Thank you for joining us. We will be listening to our amazing creators talk about their art and mental health. 48 million artists all over the world share this lived experience. The Layered Onion was formed to create a supportive community, allowing the creators to focus on their art, bringing their work from the shadows to receive the recognition and opportunities they deserve. Each podcast will feature an artist who talks about their creations and mental wellness. Art is healing. We hope these discussions will inspire you to appreciate the stories behind the creations and more importantly, inspire your inner creator. Together, we can tackle the stigma surrounding mental health. Kat, how are you? Hi, I'm well. Thanks for having me. So what I'd like to do first is have you introduce yourself, kind of where you're from, and like, the origin, and then um, talk about your different uh, modalities for your art. Right. Um, yeah, I'm Kat Gibbons, and I work primarily, well, there isn't a primarily, I take that back. I think I, um, I, I, I work with acrylic and oil paint and illustration and um, ceramics and found art sculpture, fiber arts and textile arts. I guess that would be narrowing it down. <laughs> um, so I you're like multi-talented. Well, um, self-taught. So you, you're always exploring new things and, um, finding what works for you, I suppose. Mm. Photography would be another one as well. Yeah, I, I actually just saw some recent photos you had on Instagram. They're very nice. Super cool. Thank you. Yeah. So maybe you can tell me what drew you to art? I would say my mother was an artist. Um, and so I, I, I would watch her quite a bit when she had free time from parenting to, to paint and do things like that. Um, and then I didn't really get into it until I graduated college and I moved to Colorado from New Jersey. I, I suppose it was a way to deal with depression. I had, I'd been dealing with depression since I was, about 13, but um, this was sort of my first time living on my own independently. And I was living with a couple of artists, painters. And so there was a studio and I just kind of slowly taught myself how to draw and to paint. Um, I, I got my first camera, my um, Canon AE-1. And so I took a lot of film photography and it helped a lot. It helped with the depression. And, and then um, I would get little jobs illustrating and things like that. Well, that, you know, do you think if you hadn't lived with artists, this path would have been as easy to follow? I think it 
would have happened anyway because I the way it sort of happened is I would just go and spend a lot of time at the library pouring over art books and um, it just seemed intuitive. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting to me, obviously you saw art as a very healing um, opportunity to deal with depression and, you know, as we know, there's quite a tie to um, the creative arts and uh, healing and now I think, too, you do a lot of work with children, right? Correct, yeah. And you use I, art, correct? I do. I'm an educational therapist, and I support children um, with exceptionalities and multiple exceptionalities, and I use art and creative approaches to... Um, I suppose helping children feel a sense of belonging and to feel understood and heard and seen. Um, and for them to also find their voice and however that shows up. And sometimes art can help them figure out where their voice is. It's a form of expression. And it's also a nonverbal way to connect with somebody. So you're, you, you don't necessarily have to talk about your traumas or your challenges you can sit side by side with a child and and work on something with them and they're they're noticing you and you're noticing them and it's um it's it's almost like parallel play you know where you're mm -hmm. kind of with each other doing the same thing and um just feeling each other out without really talking you know i i just think that the Arts should be emphasized so much more in school curriculum. Somewhere in there, we got kind of away from it um, where, you know, people were focusing on what they called the basics. But I just think the power of art, I know that during my education, it was not emphasized. And I wonder if it had um would I feel my mom was very creative, but hers were like textile. She would make clothes by scratch. Um, she would do a lot of that. I would call it more um, using what was around, you know, uh, arranging flowers, different things. Right. And mm -hmm. um, I just wonder what would have happened if there had been more of support in school that maybe I would have explored things differently than it took me years and years to do. Yeah. It's interesting how we're, we're kind of observing people in our family or friends or people that died centuries ago. I think that that's pretty common to kind of be seeking it elsewhere because it isn't necessarily supported all the time in the schools or resources are being cut for the arts more and more. Um, but I, I'd be interested to hear, I'm sure that you did find your way to it, you know? I did, but it was uh, circuitous, of course. <laughs> and <Yeah>. suspect, <laughs> I suspect my anxiety would have been a lot better if I had found it sooner. How's that? <laughs> that? I would probably agree with that, yeah. You know, yeah. I just think that I would have found 
Um, and for me, it was really a, a therapist who um, talked to me about one of the first tasks they gave me was a scribble journal. And mm-hmm. I was to just, you know, write with a pencil and then look at it each way and then use colored pencils to find shapes. And I was to do a minimum of five in a row. And of course, what you started to see is patterns of what was going on in your head. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, okay, this is really calming. And then then from there, you know, built. Yeah, there's, um, there is something called um, trauma-informed expressive arts therapy. Um, this woman, Kathy um, Malchiati, um, started this program and I've done some training with them just online, they have these wonderful classes. A lot of it is kind of touching on the somatic and, you know, the unconscious and exploring exercises to tap into that kind of thing. It could be dance, it could be play, it could Mm -hmm. be puppetry, singing, anything. Um, So that sounds a little bit like what the exercise that you did. Well, I'm glad to hear your mother was encouraging, but I do think certain things that happen, um, we hold uh, tight. And um, I know one of the artists I uh, talked to uh, for a podcast talked about how they had a particular art teacher who really discouraged them from a particular style of art. And then it took like 15 years to come back to it. And as an educator and somebody who is works with children, boy, that just seems like, and I remember it also with um, someone, I, I did a lot of free form writing style and they hated it. I got penalized all the time for free form writing style, like all the time. And um, I think back, I, I think, well, yeah, there was nothing wrong with that. <laughs> But how yeah. much power an educator or a person holds when you're young? Yeah, I, I I tend to work with a lot of children who think outside the box. They're divergent thinkers. And we still, sadly, have educational systems that can't hold that. It's, you know, where everything is um, outlined in a certain way. And those children often will feel alienated because they they typically have other things going on as well, mm-hmm. um, other challenges, and sometimes other strengths that aren't seen. Those invisible strengths that um, something like being able to to express yourself in a way that was um, comfortable for you would be able to highlight that strength. But if you have an educator who isn't allowing that or doesn't hold a space for that, you can internalize that and then you can hold that. And I think, of course, it's a generational bit, um, but I would say it's, I still see it quite, a, quite often mm. where there's, there's no room for that. Which that's a shame. Yeah. So one thing I want to ask you about so many of your paintings are of musicians. <laughs> and maybe that was just a time and a place. 
um, in your kind of uh, painting journey, but a lot um, of horn players. Are you, do you play a horn of some type? No, no. I, um, I've always done portraiture and I've always really been interested in, you know, different kinds of portrait artists and that kind of thing. And I, when Anthony Bourdain died, mm-hmm. I felt really compelled to do a portrait of him. I, I was really um, grief stricken by that, that particular death. And then I just kind of couldn't stop doing portraits. And then um, my husband is also a portrait artist and he's um, a huge jazz aficionado uh, and, okay um so i was getting um requests for certain um certain artists and things like that so then i um some of those like robert johnson was one you know um that i'd grown up with my brother had introduced me to um he was a favorite of my mother's as well so those were things that were also really interesting to me. I think I, I wouldn't typically do a portrait of someone if I wasn't also really fascinated by that person. Um, so a lot of those were both commissions and fascinating people for me to try to work with in a way. You, know, you get really immersed in that person's work and their art when you're painting them. Mm-hmm. So you learn a lot about them. Well, they they're lovely. I just wondered because the, so many horns, and so yeah. it's the jazz back with your partner that kind of brought you in. I'm more into blues than I am jazz. I don't know yeah. why that is, but I'm more drawn to blues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I love them both. Yeah. So, so tell me about as you've gone um, into a lot of different mediums. One of the the things I've really loved is some of the textile art. With it, you know, it, each and every piece is very different. Maybe you can talk a little bit about: is there pre planning? Do you just kind of let what happens? It's what materials you have. Maybe you can talk a bit about that. Sure. Um, I just, you know, I took an online class during the pandemic on on looming, looming tapestries and that kind of thing. And um, I think because of my my background in the UK, I'm really drawn to wool and I found that during the pandemic, the sensory aspect of working with wool and and yarn and that kind of thing was really um, soothing for me. And so I just started there. You know, I, I started, you can find wool. It, um, you don't have to buy it new. You can find it in all kinds of different places where um, they're selling it in yard sales or art parts and that kind of thing. And I would just start with some colors that I thought would work well together. And my style is a bit more haphazard and chaotic than, you know, 
a lot of people using a loom, but um, I would just feel out the colors and the, the wool, the sensations of the wool. And then I was really inspired by missing the ocean, missing Ireland. Um, and so a lot of my, I, I suppose, chosen topics and colors were inspired by the ocean and the rocks over there and the colors. And so um, then what I got into was raw sheep's wool and then weaving raw sheep's wool kind of in between the, um, the strands and hanging, I suppose, pieces of driftwood or feathers and that kind of thing. Um, and then then I got kind of into exploring menopause and, and um, shifting the color palette and um, starting to kind of explore that. So I did a few tapestries on that. And that was, um, that was really helpful as well during the pandemic. So I would say I, you can really feel the um, tie back to the earth in some way, shape, or form by your pieces. And you brought up Ireland, and I know you just did a sabbatical in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And you also talked a bit about your tie back to the UK. Maybe you could talk a bit about your multiculturalism and how all of that has really had an impact on you and your art. Sure, yeah. My dad was in Vietnam. He was a fighter pilot, and they were stationed in England. Um, and so I was born on an RAF base there in 1971, and we were there for about three years. Um, and my dad retired from the military, so we moved back to New Jersey. I suppose it was enough to make an impression on me. Um, I really feel like the sea is kind of in my bones being born by the ocean um, on the coast there. And so it was always a part of our family culture, British culture and Irish culture was something that was brought in from my mother's side of the family. And um, it wasn't, um, it was a bit distant in the genealogy, you know, um, but um it was always a part of um, literature and music and and that kind of thing. So when my mother passed away in 2001, I was encouraged to travel. Um, and so I went to Ireland for about four months and lived on the west coast of Kerry, which I, I suppose changed everything for me because... Um, I felt a, a sense of being at home that I, I hadn't really felt anywhere before. And I found a tiny little family there that um, was not a, um, any kind of relative of mine, but it was a, sort of a chosen family. And so it, I, when I went back this visit, um, it was because my brother passed away suddenly in September. And so it seems to be a place that I go when um, there's grief happening. 
And then as a result of that, I suppose I tie it into my art because I'm either longing for that connection and longing for the land and the people and that feeling of being home. And um, there's a calmness to it that I, I really find hard to, 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 to grasp here in the States. And so I, I seem to keep returning to it as a place um, to feel calm again and um, get back to myself. Um, so my family keeps growing there. It keeps getting bigger. <laughs> uh, and um, I had a little art show there. Um, I suppose it, maybe it wasn't like an art show where we had any kind of event, but I hung some pieces in a pub in West Cary and Valley Ferreter at the Tig Brick. Um, they make lovely beer there. And that was really, I, I felt like, a huge, um, a special thing for me to, to be able to, to do that. So it's really, well, I would love to see some pictures of that. That would be cool. I'll pass them on. Yeah. 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 That would be cool. So, so as you think about the next, so you've been through a lot, I mean, you're coming up on the year anniversary of your brother's passing. And I think losing, Losing our parents are very difficult. I've lost both mine, and you obviously lost your mother at a very young age. And that is a huge hole. But losing a sibling is, it's not something I've experienced. Um, my spouse has, and it it's a very different grief. Um, I don't know. I, I've watched it in them, you know, they're, that they don't, I don't know. But I, do you feel like going and taking that sabbatical and taking the time for yourself brought you some peace? Yes, absolutely. I would say um, it, it could be described as peace, but I, I might also add that it brings a certain amount of depth to your or to my world um a good way i guess analogy would be you're not kind of swimming on the surface trying to stay afloat you're going to these deeper places and ireland sort of has for me and especially in the west um there are a lot of um dark there's a lot of overlap and mixing of worlds there. I don't know how to describe it. Um, the, the dark valleys and then the ocean and the, um, the mountains and the locks and the bog, it's all wrapped up in a lot of myth um, and storytelling and music and magical places that could exist in your heart, could exist in your mind, whatever um, exists for you. But for me, it was walking the land, um, walking miles and miles and miles and in the bog and up the mountain and to the lock and over, over the pass down and down into Dingle. It, 
it's sort of um you you sort of develop this kind of relationship with the land that you can return to in a way that has depth where you feel like you're not drowning you know you sort of feel like you it's a sense of belonging with the land that i think is certainly missing for a lot of people in the world um so i think it it creates sort of a, another world for me to return to that has um the stories and the myths and the and the music and the the people that my brother also really loved you know he was really um he had such good humor and good stories and it it sort of just reinforces too that that connection with them as well i always feel really close to them when i'm there um, i have to tell you one of the myths that i love about ireland is seridwin the you know sort of they might use the term the old hag, but really the wise woman. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I love that. That. Yeah. I just love that um, sort of myth. She's and, my favorite. Yeah. What? She's my favorite. Yeah. Is she? I love. I love Sarah Dwen. Yeah, I do too. I think it's super cool. What do you love about her? I think the wisdom that that you gain wisdom with age. And um, for me, the idea that, and, you know, I grade young and it took me a while to embrace my gray hair and just decide to quit coloring. Uh, Cause you know, I had young kids and here I am gray and I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, this is ridiculous. But ultimately it was the idea that you're embracing all that that has been gained that wisdom and mm -hmm. the wrinkles and the, you know, just the whole piece and going through menopause, you know, all of those things, which just, I love that idea. What about you? Yeah. What is it that you love about Sarah Dwin? Um, I think, I think there's a sort of looming presence of her um, in the mountains there mm -hmm. and the um, the ancientness, I suppose, if that's a word. Um, <laughs> it is now if it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's this um, in Klahan, there's a valley um, and um, in that valley is the kayak's apron and um it's all these rocks that have been strewn and the story is that she had these rocks in her apron and she was just throwing them out everywhere and so I, whenever i'm i'm in caves or mountains or things like that I, I always see her it's kind of this mm -hmm. um reminder of how how ancient things are and um i think sometimes it's more than just anthropomorphizing something. It's, I think myth is much deeper than that. And it, um, it's really connecting us to um, the parts of ourselves that are connected to the land and not separate from it. I think that the separate part is kind of what's damaging um, nature and, and, and earth is that we, we are, it's all interconnected. And I think that myth really helps with that. Mm. And I, 
Um, and then maybe we can see those parts of ourselves in that myth. And I think especially for women, it's important, you know, that we return back to the, um, the stories where we were, where we really had, um, an impact on things that was really powerful and important to be able to see that, you know? Well, and so much of it not documented and, um, uh, celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, it's still, it's still something that can be rewritten and recreated a lot too. You know, those stories don't have to stay one way. Mm-hmm. You can, you can rewrite them. It's interesting. Good. <laughs> Good. So a uh, final question that I have for you is if you could look back and think about eight-year-old cat, what advice would you give your younger self that you wish you knew or you think would have been helpful? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I'm reading Sinead O'Connor's biography, Rememberings. Mm. And um, in the introduction, you know, she speaks to the the voice of the book is written by her younger self, you know, and I really connected to that. Um, and the way that she writes it is really, it's really clear that that voice is there, you know. Um, and it's interesting because when I was eight, we were, you know, living in New Jersey. I grew up in a national wildlife preserve called the Great Swamp. Mm. Um, and so that was a piece of land that I also walked as a child. I walked it to um, get away from my family, to get away from conflict. Um, and it was, I suppose, my biggest relationship as a child was with that place. So... Um, I think what I would say to my, my eight-year-old self, um, would be to really, you know, trust myself and embrace that part of myself that really knew actually what to do, because that was something that I did to, to look after myself and, I think girls, especially once they start becoming 10 or 11, the self-doubt really sort of becomes overpowering. Um, And the self-criticism kind of takes over. And I had a lot of anxiety, you know, um, as a child. And so I didn't feel anxious when I was in the swamp, when I was walking to land, you know. Um, And I learned how to be alone. You know, I think that's something that saved me from um, a lot of difficulty in life is learning how to be with myself. But um, so I think learning how to trust myself and know, and, and to sit with that, um, I think would be what I would want to say to my, my younger self. Mm-hmm. You know? I think that is a really 
knowing how to be with yourself and being comfortable like that is it was a true gift that you gave yourself because yeah. I don't think many really know how. It's not, it's not easy either. <laughs> it's, you know, it has all of the, all of the, the trappings of <laughs> anything. Um, but, you know, you wind your way through it. And um, I, I would just thank, I would thank the swamp, you know, for, for being there for me. Um, so it's no surprise I'm attracted to the bogs, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking that myself right now. <laughs> There's yeah. something about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping to get back to Ireland next year. And right now I'm working on an art show based on my time there. I've done a few paintings already. And oh, do you have one you want to show us? Uh, or not yet. There's some in the background there. I don't know if you oh. can see. Oh, I love that one. There's a couple of landscapes. Yeah. But I like the sizing that it's long and skinny. Yeah, yeah. That's um on some wood that we had in the garage, but um oh, cool. Yeah, I'm working with some myth um uh and then I have some sheep's wool that I collected while I was there because I was I was working a lot with sheep. Oh, okay. Um on the mountain, so I'm hoping to do some some um, textile work with that. So okay. Uh, well, Kat, this was really a lovely conversation, and I hope we can do it again next year. Maybe we do it after both of us have been recently back from Ireland. I'm thinking we're going to probably go in September. So I don't know when you next would year? go. Yeah, next year. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, thank you so much. This this feels um, this feels great, and the layered onion is. Um, I'm just so happy to see it growing and, and seeing the community. So, um, you know, well, thank you. People like you that, that really make it. And, and just, it's been such a great experience for me. Um, I've learned so much from you all. Yeah. Thanks for all you do. And um, yeah, cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. It is an honor to talk with these amazing creators. You can see and read the artist's work in The Shallot, our journal of mental health, art, and literature, or on our website, thelayeredonion.com. Thank you. A little more